Welcome to the Mycelium Network Podcast, a podcast all about early stage web developers and the mentors and teachers that helped them along the way. Hey, Bree. Welcome to the Mycelium Network Podcast. Thanks for having me, Skulk. It's a big pleasure. Um, so I, I listened to a podcast called Beginner Maps, and that is where I learned about you first. Well, not first. I kind of knew about you because of the community space, which we'll dig into in a second. But um, I listened to that podcast episode, and there was a couple of things that intrigued me. And I thought, seeing that I'm running a community, and community is so integral to um, open source, and then also to especially people early in their careers and in all of this stuff, I think it would be great to just have somebody on that to just we could just talk about why community is so awesome. So with all of that out of the way, um, I'm not going to introduce you. I'm going to hand the mic to you and let you tell us about yourself, where you are, what do you do, and what gets you up in the morning. Yeah, thank you. Um, I'm honored to be here to get to share more of my experience and <laughs> mostly just some of the mistakes I've made probably. <laughs> Um, I, so I'm Bree Lever. I grew up mostly in Pennsylvania, but my, um, family moved to the Middle East when I was 16. So, um, my parents were teachers and we moved to Qatar and, um, or Qatar or Qatar or Qatar or <laughs> however you prefer. Um, and then I came back over to the U.S. for school and moved up to Portland, Oregon, where I caught my big community break. I never would have articulated it that way at the time. I was partnering with a, a social enterprise to start a very robust ambassador program. And so um, once I left that role after seven years, that's really when I started to... I, I saw my role as more of sales and marketing. Um but all everything that I did every single day was community development and arguably some of the the trickiest types of community development where there's like some very real sales quotas that you're also hitting, but it's deeply relational and you're building leaders and um so happy to talk more about that experience. But once I left that role, I in February of 2020, if we can all just picture where we were in that blissful February of 2020, <laughs> quit my job literally weeks before the pandemic hit. Um, and then just the, the path unfolded to starting my own consulting work, helping brands become community led. So I started with sort of the light version of what I had built at my previous, that previous company called Seiko. And, um, over time just explored, really discovered more of the world of, I was like, Oh, I'm this, I haven't just invented community. <laughs> this is actually something that many people at different, many different companies are thinking about. Um, and I got a lot more immersed in the community world and, um, have been just so, so pleased to get to partner with people, um, who are building incredible communities and, learn from them, but also help, help kind of be the bridge for brands that don't, we're still in such early an early stage of the community, community as an industry. So it's really exciting to be at the kind of forefront of helping, um, establish some of that common language even, and helping brands understand what is community and what is it not. So happy to differentiate and dive into the, some of those things, but that's a little bit about me. Oh, and now I live in Hawaii. Then I then I moved to Hawaii too. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, I've been to Hawaii once. I had the privilege to go there thanks to an all hands for one of the clients I work at. It is a beautiful place, that is for sure. Um, I also, my niece lives there as well. Um, the time oh. difference, it was rough to be able to contact my family. It was so hard. Yes, it is the exact opposite from <laughs> South Africa. <laughs> oh, and that reminds yeah. me, I didn't answer your question of um, what gets me up in the morning. And I, I loved, I haven't been asked, I don't know if I've been asked it from that, that angle before. And, you know, I, just to get existential here for a moment, I feel, I feel like what gets me up in the morning now is this deep feeling that it really does all work out. <laughs> and that might sound kind of like coming from a place of pessimism, but it's actually coming from um, a deep hopefulness 
that, um, you know, the future is bright and I feel really hopeful about not just my life, but, um, also like the people around me and the place that I live. And so very hopeful that it all, it always works out (laughs) one way or another. Yeah. Yeah, I think we all need a little bit of hope um, right now. Um, I think the world is in an interesting place. Um, but so if you can surround yourself with people that help you find hope and all of that, I think it's a really good place to be. And community plays into this. And um, so I, I'm i a strong believer. I believe in community. I don't think it's – yeah, you do believe in community. <laughs> um, and it comes from the whole open source world. That I've been, that I've been involved in. Um, it's kind of core to what open source is about. Uh, so, you know, open source is largely a community effort. It maybe starts with one person that has a need and then builds something to fill that need. But then oftentimes they find that, oh, but there is, um, there's other people that have the same problem and this solves their problem, but there's little tweaks and things that they need and, before you know it, there's a really nice community formed around this little project. And um, with some of the projects that I've worked on, I've really seen how, how impactful it can be um, to have a active community. But there's also a side to it where it's very important to nurture that community and to respect them, um, which maybe we'll dig into that a little bit later. But, um, I mean, you being a community uh, leader, obviously I'm kind of preaching to the choir here, but... Um, I'm just wondering, like, for people early in their career, like, for our community, it's web developers, but that doesn't, that doesn't matter that much. Um, what do you see as the main benefits of being part of the community? Yeah, thanks so much for um, kind of laying the groundwork there. And, you know, I, before I dive into that, well, one, it's, <laughs> I have two kind of groundworks to lay in order to answer that. And one is it feels community is very fundamental to the human experience. It's how we have stayed safe throughout evolution. We are, we are literally programmed and wired for community and belonging and connection. So I don't, I'm not reinventing the wheel. I'm not saying anything new when I, when I say that. Um, But I think it's important to note when, when we have the conversation about like, well, what's the benefit or will this work? I'm, my posture towards community is kind of, um, it's less of a, like, this is a guinea pig and we'll just, it might die. It might not. If we're going to try the whole community thing, it's, that's, I think the wrong way to look at it. And it's more of, I, I prefer to posture myself as a trailblazer. You know, I'm like, there is a path, there is a way through. We might have to really do some pivoting to find it. But this is so, it's so baked into the human experience that I just have yet to come across a scenario where like community just doesn't make sense as like either an element of your business or just a facet of life. (laughs) So, um, so just to kind of set that up and then something else that you said led me to this, this thought, um, the product approach to, um, people's problems is, you have this really specific problem. And so let's design a product or a service that helps alleviate that on some level. Um, the community led approach to that is, um, here's a group of people who all have a similar problem. Let's, let's create a landscape where they can break open that problem and solve it together. And what's really amazing, um, about the community led approach is that from the, from the product side, if you just solve one problem once, Um, you lose uh, contact with how that problem evolves over time or how maybe your product or service solves the problem, but then a new problem arises (laughs) simply by the nature of solving the old one. And you kind of lose touch uh, pretty easily with how that continues to evolve. Whereas when, once you have declared that instead of just solving that one problem, we're re- we're more interested in the creating a landscape where people are solving these types of problems. You you have a much closer perspective, and you can see how that continues to evolve over time. So, as someone who, as as humans who constantly have problems that are changing and ebbing and flowing and evolving, 
I think finding a community, whether it's professional or personal, that is, is asking the same questions to help untangle some of your deepest problems or issues or desires, <laughs> that's going to, it doesn't just help you in the present and help you feel like less alone and um, a sense of camaraderie that you're not the only one who's wrestling with that, but it also gives you continued tools and resources for how to approach your specific problem, not just today, but also in the future. Yeah, that's great. Um, and I, I agree. It's, I think that is one of the things is like I mentioned, like web developers, but specifically the community I am involved with or while well, the one that I started is focused on early stage people and for them, especially feeling like they're not alone. Like they're not the only one struggling with this, this specific part of, of a language or something is. I've seen it many times when somebody have asked and somebody else said, oh, I struggled with that exact same thing. And this is how I, it's always such a great feeling for somebody to say, oh, okay, it's not just me. So yeah, I think a community like even that, that small, seemingly small aspect is such a big uh, benefit you get from being part of a community. You mentioned the difference between a community formed around a product or a problem well, not, not around a product that's trying to solve a problem, but then the other way, which is the community led approach. And you, you touched on what, what that means, but I'd like you to dig into that just a little bit deeper about what exactly is com the difference between how many people might think about community and what community led specifically means. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question that deserves differentiation. <laughs> So in the in the marketing world that I come from, um, our language has been the community language has been hijacked over the last couple decades with social media. So we tend to think of um, we tend to confuse community for audience, and um, it's there's a lot of different kind of angles that I could approach this question with, but I'll speak to this one because it's the most common misconception that I see. So um, your audience is um, the space to which you into which you broadcast your message. It's a really linear. It's a very linear relationship. There is the broadcaster and the person sitting in the audience. Community turns that the emphasis of the relationship away from one primary speaker. And says, instead of focusing on the relationship between the speaker and the audience, we actually want to focus on fostering those connections between audience members. That's when we enter into community. So a community-led approach is really less about, if you're tempted to ask questions like, um, okay, what, what does our audience need and how can we like create more content to help them? And it's more the community-led approach asks, how can we create a space where our community members can start collaborating together to solve these issues? How can we prompt them, incentivize them to create, If instead of us creating all of the content or being the hub or being the ones with all of the answers, how can we prompt our community members to find the answers for themselves? Um, so there's, there's lots of different, um, I don't know that I have a an all-star definition. I'm, we're working on it in the background. I'm working on clarifying all of my definitions here, but um, I would say that's the most common misconception about they think community. We think community-led is really just um, a really engaged audience of fans, but a community is so much more, and it's it's so much more work behind the scenes because it's not about the person on the stage, and it takes a lot more work because you're you're not just um, like feeding people, you're like teaching them how to cook <laughs> and you're asking them to like share recipes with each other. And then you're, and then this one, that's like this one person who's been creating phenomenal meals. You're like, Hey, would you teach the rest of the people how to, how to make this meal? So it's a lot more difficult to influence people's behaviors than it is just to like serve them a meal. But, um, in the end it's, it creates the solid foundation that like, is so strong it can't really be broken yeah that's lovely um i agree with that and i think 
like in the from a technical perspective specifically or in a technical audience it's that whole idea where you don't give the person the answer but you guide them in the direction where they might have an easier time finding the answer because i think um we are all um well most of us if somebody comes to you with a problem you you immediately go into a um solutions mode where you want to just give them the answer because you think that that is the best thing in the moment that you can do. But in actual fact, you learn much better through struggling a little bit, trying something and then asking a question, being led in a direction, but still having to do some work yourself. And I think it's that old Ikea effect that they talk about where just the fact that you're assembling this thing by yourself, make it so much more valuable to you than if it got came pre-assembled. I think it, all of those things play together. And so I like this idea where it's not just a person speaking to an audience, but it's like the community speaking to each other as well. That is definitely something that's important to me. Like, I don't want to be, everybody shouldn't sit and wait for me to say something. Everybody shouldn't sit around, wait for me to say, this is what we're going to do. I want them to come to me with initiative as well and say, we've been talking about this thing and we would like to do this. And I can enable it maybe because I have, you know, people that I can connect with or I have resources or experience or whatever the case may be. I love that. That That's great. No, I think you did a really good job of explaining it. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you. It is a, you know, it's, I'll add one little bit to it. It's, it's so funny how my consulting practice has changed with my clients. And now it feels like um, when I work with clients... <laughs> to to craft and launch their community. It's like we do all of this work to kind of vision cast and brainstorm and and dream up like what would the ideal community space look like? And then we basically just pack it away and I'm like, okay, so now we're going to like you know all of this. I want you to forget it. <laughs> and we're going to start with like such a tiny little iteration of this dream. And what we're actually, what we need to have happen is we need your community members to be the ones who are like, oh man, I wish we had a place for matchups. Like, oh man, I wish we had like a space where we could like just, just dedicated to our wins. And like, I wish, could we do an event where could I host it? So it's like, I'm like, okay, we have all the, we know all the things we like, and we, and there are assumptions. We don't know that that's how it's like completely going to unfold, but you kind of have to it's a really good community manager actually holds back all of their brilliant ideas and seeds and fosters and waits for them to bubble up from the community and like holds that tension and is like so dedicated to like, I am not going to be the hero of this story that they are willing to wait and embrace the tension and let their community members bring it up. That's awesome. And that is rare. Um, I think because I think this is, I always, I'm always so negative about social media and, um, and it has its place, but it, it's also caused a lot of problems. And I think one of the problems it caused is this idea of the euro of the day. Um, and I think it's fostered this idea that there's always this one individual that's the euro that comes out the other and solves everybody's problems. So I think people find it hard these days to hold back, not to, to be that person. Um, from different angles so yeah it's great to have this different perspective because i think it i think it plays into the whole move fast and break things like this idea of okay let's dream big and then let's go back and let's be realistic maybe and let's start slow and methodical and build this thing over time i think that that's a more scalable sustainable solution um over time uh so i had a look at your blog among other things um and on your about page well actually not just your blog your actual company page and there's a link to the about page and there's a sentence on there that i really liked which is uh consider this your safe space to ask stupid questions and get the tools you need to learn what you don't know yet about brand communities and that's what I aim to do with the Mycida network is to create a space where people feel safe and comfortable to ask uh, air quotes, stupid questions, because really there aren't any stupid questions. It's just, again, this whole social media thing that makes you feel like you should know everything. No, you shouldn't. <laughs> so I'm learning this as I go. Um, but for somebody who's been in this world for a while, 
What do you think are some of the key things to think about when you're creating a space that people will f- find as safe and welcoming? Mm. So that's a great question. I, number one, above and beyond anything else is transparency um, and clear, clear communication. That to me builds trust. I try just in my day-to-day life to be open and transparent about where I'm coming from and everything from my pricing to, um, to my process, to how my work has evolved. Um, I've been doing a lot more, um, processing in public with my, my writing and my content. And I think part of that is just to, um, to build that trust. (laughs) So that's, that's number one. Um, I think what's really important as a guide for people in the entering into the community space is to display also equal parts, empathy and authority. So, um, I like to, for, for me, I'm speaking about it. Um, I'm, I'm thinking in the context of partnering with clients, you're thinking about it in the context of fostering your community. And, um, one of the ways that I do that is I try to normalize like, Cause there are a lot of misconceptions about community. And oftentimes in my work with clients, we have to first break those down before we can start building. And I've rushed that process in the past and not set my clients up for success every time. So, um, I like to normalize and just kind of name like what is the existing ideology or belief that they, I don't know if they have it or not, but I can kind of say it's really common and really normal to, and it's really natural to think this because we've been conditioned in these ways and then offer, but in my experience, and so this is, that's the empathy part. Now we move into authority, you know, in my experience, building communities, it doesn't always play out that way (laughs) or it doesn't play out the way that we expect or that we've been told like it should, if we were talking to an audience, you know, as an example. So Balancing equal parts, empathy, and authority, I think, um, I hope helps people feel like they can um, both be honest about where they're at and questions that they have, but also trust trust my direction and and not trust that I'm always going to have every answer to every question. There's plenty of calls where I'm like, that's a great question. And I don't know the answer to that, but I'm going to find the answer. And my rule of thumb is <laughs> never make it up on the spot. <laughs> like. <laughs> If you don't know the answer, just say you don't know the answer and you're going to go find someone who does. Um, that to me is like also builds trust rather than just BSing your way through things, which I'm also fairly good at sometimes, but <laughs> I try to avoid. <laughs> does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. It does. And yeah, we all BS a little bit sometimes. And and it's like a white lie. I think sometimes it's okay. <laughs> sometimes you need to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so um for our community we're heavily invested in github as a platform because that you know is where as they say where code happens and where people collaborate especially in the coding space um we use discord as a place where we can have open communication um i chose that because there's a lot of overlap between people who write code and design and people who play games. And so they're generally already there. So it's what one thing that I've learned is go where the, where the community already is instead of trying to pull them somewhere else. Um, so I have two feelings about that. The one is, um, yes, I agree with that. The other, the one challenging aspect I have with that, which I haven't, totally figured out or, or decided how I'm going to deal with it is but whatever large portion of the community is on a platform you don't feel good about but the only way you're going to reach them is if you go there and then mm-hmm. perhaps you can influence them by being transparent and explaining why you think this is not the most healthiest place to be um, so with all that in mind mm-hmm. um I, I had the question phrased as what is your favorite community platforms and why? And that is still my question, but I'd like to throw one extra one in there, which is which are some of the, your favorite communities and why? Oh man. Yeah. Okay. And then there's like an, uh, another hidden question in there, <laughs> which is, um, you know, 
is it so there's kind of like the three core places where people like have built community and kind of like hodgepodge it together a little bit and but 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 hate to be (laughs) and that is discord slack and facebook groups and there is sort of this um um like um i want to say myth but it's i don't know that we can like disprove it yet uh but there's this feeling that well but everyone is there and so we have to go there but the one thing that i would um challenge on what you said was if you yourself are having the feeling like but i feel a lot of tension and a lot of friction building my community in this space it's very likely that you are attracting community members who also feel the same um it's a better i'd say like a clearer example is facebook groups because i have this is purely anecdotal uh, experience and not data driven, but everyone who wants to build a community on face in a Facebook group, the only reason is because they think that people are there. And every, but every community member I've ever interviewed who's in a Facebook group says, you know, the only reason I'm on Facebook is because this group is here. <laughs> and so I do have a, before I get to your question, I want to have like a very slight aside. Um, cause I do have an analogy for, um, you know, it, it's kind of to me like building your Target or your Starbucks uh, cafe inside of the Target, you know, so you can like, like the hope is kind of like, well, people are already here. They're doing busy commerce things. So like, maybe we'll just distract them into this space, <laughs> which isn't some communities like are frankly not providing enough value that that is the only way they're going to get engagement is to distract people in. But just as quickly, they are distracted out of your community. And so it's really hard to foster um, for, for like good, hard community work that takes time and more attention span than social media affords us. My point is usually to my, my clients, um, the type of space that we're trying to build is more like a, a coffee boutique. You know, it's like we... We're trying to build a space where we can foster these connections. And so, yes, it is going to be harder to get people. They have to come to this space. It's not just going to happen because they were running an errand at Target. But if we are providing enough value in this space, isn't that, shouldn't that be what we want to happen? That we are, they are, they're getting so much value from this space that they're willing to click on the button and log into the platform that isn't just a distraction. So that's my, uh, my very yeah. like gentle, my gentle nudge before <laughs> the, cause there are these, the problem is there are these all in one platforms that are, are accessible, are very, um, are a lot more robust in considering like, um, a diverse ecosystem for a community platform. Whereas, um, these traditional platforms are, are pretty limited in, in some of the features and technology that they bring. So that's, I want to pause there before I dive into the rest, but do you have any comments on that? Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, I love that. That makes total sense. Yeah, no, 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 no. You've convinced me that. I, now, now I'm even more interested to hear which platforms and communities you, you, you've enjoyed working with or creating or being a part of. Yeah, yeah. So... Okay, so I'll start with platforms and then I'll move into communities because I do um, I do a community dissection um, series. So once a week, we dissect a new community with a couple other people in the community um, professional world, which is super fun. So I'll talk about that. On the platform side, I tend to... There's kind of um, two distinct categories for community platforms. And one is like the enterprise level community platform that has a lot of... The more you pay, the more customization you get, but you can really customize the experience and like the layout and the format. And, um, you know, you can spend as much money as you want to. So platforms that would be in that category would be Coros, Insided, Vanilla as examples. Um, more recently in the last couple of years, you have had a lot more of these, what I call creator community platforms. So, um, people who have a podcast or a newsletter or an audience or a course. And um, these platforms target, they're much more accessible um, pricing wise. But what I've found is that they also are pretty, um, 
they are conducive to the needs of brand communities. And for me, when I'm partnering with clients, you know, we're just launching a brand community. We're not ready to make a 30, the brand isn't ready to make a $30,000 enterprise level investment in community. They want to start small and start tinkering and start growing like pretty organically. So we've actually used, I've mostly built my brand communities and creator communities in this second tier, which is um, some of the platform examples are Heartbeat, um, Circle, Mighty Networks is like the oldest example. I really don't recommend them, but so I just, I'll go, I'll stay away from my tangent on that. <laughs> but um, Heartbeat, Circle, Mighty Networks, there's a new one called Melting Spot coming out of France. And um, there's one that kind of sits in the middle of the two, Gradual, which I've really loved. They're more of like a, for um, communities that are really centered around like bigger conferences, they have really phenomenal like event capabilities. So those are, those are some of the examples. There's tons more. I'm always trying to keep up with the um, less, less the community, what I call community tools and more of the all-in-one platforms, because that tends to take a lot of the lift off of the shoulders of the community managers that I work with. Um, So those are, that's my scope on platforms. Yeah, that's great. I've heard about Heartbeat before. Um, I listened to the story. I think it was on, yeah, it was on uh, Beginner Maps. Um, they interviewed the founder of Heartbeat. And he mentioned that when Heartbeat hit the inflection point, they reached out to you to say, help! <laughs> and you helped them grow. So, yeah. I And I was interested in looking at Heartbeat. So it's interesting that you mentioned it now. Now I'm definitely going to check it out. <laughs> yeah. They're, oh, they're, I love getting to partner with their team. It was really such, and anytime you get to create a community of community builders, it's just the best because they know, they know exactly what it's like and they know how to, they know how to talk to people. I like to joke that 90% of our job as community builders is literally just teaching people how to talk to each other. (laughs) So that was a super, super fun project. And I highly recommend them as a, as a platform. So Communities. Is there any communities you're a part of that you have found particularly value, not like valuable, but also maybe inspiring? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Let's circle back to that. So, um, not, I'll start with, so communities that I am a part of, um, I will say one that we just dissected that I have been a part of since like almost when they first launched was the circle community. So that's a community for customers who are using circle and I, I was, um, it's grown a lot and I think that they're kind of feeling those growing pains, but from the very beginning, um, Mathilde was the first community manager and now she has a team and they did, I was very, very impressed with the, um, level of engagement that they had in that community and people jumping in to help each other and the events that they ran provided a ton of value. So I was, I've always been really impressed with that community. Um, I, you, you can only be a part of it if you are a circle customer, but it's a great perk for, um, joining that platform. And then, um, as far as communities that I'm not a part of, but that I have dissected, I'm a huge fan of the Lego ideas community. I'm not even a Lego person, but I just love their community architecture so much. There's it's, it's so good. It's clearly a product community. Um, it's all focused on like designing Lego sets. And so normally I try to kind of look for communities that are a little bit more cross-functional and hit several departments, but they just, they just narrowed in so well and like nailed the product side of the community. Um, so that's a, we, we dissected that one fully and like you have people who are designing sets and they like have hit the, whatever star star ruby extraordinaire level of badges <laughs> because of like how many sets have been voted into existence and production and people are like you'll see them like share that status in their like social all their social media like it's it's so it's been the the honor and the privilege of being a part of that community and designing in that community has been so elevated through their work and like design i i think it's just a phenomenally it 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 incorporates gamification in a way that is like really powerful. Yeah. I've heard about the Lego community um, and the Lego builders community It is incredible. And I think with, I don't know, I think so. Uh, give me your input about what you, what you think. Um, 
I guess when you look at a community like that, that's very like um, locked in on the product, but still manages to have this like really creative feel to it. I guess you could substitute product for um, not goal, but um, I think what you're trying to achieve with your community. So if you're trying to educate people, so you can probably swap out product for educate and that's your focus. So if you look at something like the Lego community, maybe you can say, let's see what they do. But instead of focusing on a product, I'm going to focus it on an outcome, like educating people, getting them their first job, whatever the case may be. Does that make sense? Yes, 100%. This is actually, it connects really well. I gathered a couple community professionals at the end of last year to talk about like, where should community live in your organization? And that's really where you get these different objectives. So like you can have a customer success community that is focused on helping educate members on, um, on how to, how to better use the product or, and also like retaining members. You have, um, customer support communities, which tend to be kind of like, I don't, I don't love them. They can tend to be kind of boring. <laughs> They're just really glorified help forums, but um, no shade to the customer support community people out there. Oh no, I'm getting hot now. Um, but I also really, we, we talked about in that, in that discussion about, um, marketing communities being where the objective is to, like understand and activate the customer as well in order to come alongside of your your organization's goals for for sales or new new sales or uh, repeat sales. So yeah, it really for me it doesn't matter as much. It really depends on what the organization is trying to achieve, where the community originates from. Once it has some legs and once it's kind of proven itself a little bit, I like to. I think it's very wise to start moving into other departmental objectives as well, because the way that I say it is if you treat community like a product initiative, or if you treat community like a marketing initiative, it will only serve your marketing goals. If you treat community like a business objective and a business initiative, it will affect your entire business. So it really just depends on how you view it and how much you want it. You want it to affect your business. Yeah, true. I'm loving the bird sounds, by the way. I remember when I was in, when I was in Hawaii, um, when we, we got up in the morning and we went out. Um, so the hotel, uh, it had like a foyer, but it was open. So right up to the, mm. the, the roof. So in the morning, when you went out of your hotel room, it's just birds and yeah. it's all these different sounds. It's so beautiful. So yeah, I'm loving that. So don't worry about it. It's going to just make the podcast even better. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I also heard the other day. So I also heard the other day, if you listen to three seconds of bird sounds, it improves your mood immediately. So there really? we go. We're also improving people's mood. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. There's this little, <laughs> it's so funny. I have a window right in front of my desk and I can see all the bird drama unfolding. There's like, there's little pairs that like yeah. just clock at each other. And it's really, it's really cute. There's yeah. Never ending bird drama going on here in front of my office. <laughs> that must be distracting, but lovely at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, going in a little bit of a different direction, but um, again, on, on, on your website and this on the blog side, you had this blog called uh, blog post that is, what is your community superpower? And it's actually a questionnaire slash survey. So you kind of answer questions and then at the end it reveals like something about it. And I did it and it identified me as a confidant, which is surprisingly accurate. <laughs> but... No One way. of the questions that I've that I've found really hard to choose between the options that was available is the question: Which of the following characteristics is the most important to you in friendship? And so I ended up choosing energy, but I was super torn um, because all three is actually important to me. So I'm curious: How did you choose the three traits? that you put in that that specific question yeah oh i'm so glad you took it that quiz was um it's like quizzes are so silly and it was i never made one before but i just decided 
<laughs> like, okay, I'm just going to do this and do something that I know a lot about, which is how you feel when you're a community manager and some of those weaknesses and strengths and how they play into each other. Um, so one, after I'm done answering, I would love to know what resonated with you about the confidant. Um, cause it was, it was really cool when I released that quiz, like the number of people who were like, this was like kind of eerily accurate or like people saying like, I screenshotted like the advice you gave at the end. Cause I need to like hear this every day. And it was, it was really cool. So yeah, the, the core of this experience was honestly just like really putting myself back in my shoes as a community manager, um, at the company that I was in for seven years. And I remember times where, um, it was call. I was called upon to be like the visionary and the leader and to lead like unapologetically, um, this group of almost a thousand, um, we called them fellows. And I remember times where I felt like I, I felt like I was the only one like protecting the group from certain members who were like really just eating away at our, our culture and our values. And then I also remember times where it's like, I didn't feel very extroverted, but I also needed to be the person who was going to be the safe space for people. And like, it was just a requirement of my job to hold a lot of space for people and where they were at and what they were coming to the table with. So um, that was the spirit of this, those three questions. So loyalty, energy, and kindness. Loyalty. So loyalty was the one that matched to the confidant. Um, and I, for me, I, the feeling that I had with that one was, you know, you, you feel it is uh, the confidant, the kind of like spirit of the confidant is this responsibility as a protector and sort of guardian of the space. And so you're thinking through like, if we're making a decision, like, how is this going to impact? Like, what are all of the ramifications of this? Because your, your intention is to like, protect the people who you have been given responsibility for. And so loyalty felt like the one that stood out in friendship for that, for that personality. Energy was more of the the dreamer and the visionary. So I feel this with like, I think one of the most important things to me is like, <laughs> I hate this buzzword, but synergy is like just such a magical thing for me. And like synergy, energy, like that spark that you feel with someone when you meet them or like making a new friend and you just are like, oh, like we just, you just get it. You just understand me on this like intrinsic level. Like that, that feels like the the dreamer, the visionary side of me. And then kindness was this matched for me with the host. And that was the spirit of like someone who really, like I said, can hold, can hold enormous amounts of space for their people while honoring like also what, what they need. And so for me, how that manifested was like, maybe not being the most extroverted person in the room, but if I can find my like two to three people who I can pour into at an event, that would be that would be a huge win for me. So I don't know if that answers your question, but that was some of the spirit behind it. And I'd love to hear what resonated with you. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, I love your explanation. Thanks. It's really insightful. Um, uh, so the confidant aspect, I don't know. I've It's always been a thing with me, and I don't know why that is. And with my wife, it's the same thing. It's as if people are drawn to me when they are going through a tough time. They feel like they can speak to me and that I will listen. And um you know, understand or at least be compassionate about it. Um, so if I'm in a meeting, for example, and I see that somebody in the meeting looks a little off or, you know, they look like something's not quite, they're not happy, essentially. I'm the person who would afterwards go on Slack and private message them and say, are you okay? Because it looked like you were a little down or are you, are you just tired maybe or what's wrong? So I do that kind of thing. And then in the community that I'm running at the moment, um, that is important to me. I, if I, if somebody disappears that's been really active, I would reach out to them and say, Hey, is there something that, that's happened? Is it somebody in the community? Was it me? Is, is it just, is there something you're missing? So I'm always, you know, being the confidant, I guess, to somebody else to be, say, if you, and if you have anything to tell, tell me it's okay. I can be the catalyst between you and somebody else. So I think that's mm -hmm. why it resonated with me. It's always been a part of, part of my life it's not that i seek it out it sort of comes towards me and i've 
embraced it, I guess, <laughs> at this point. Amazing. Oh, I love that. It, pro- it probably serves you so well, too, in your role as a podcaster. <laughs> I could imagine you're holding space for yeah. a lot of people here. Yeah, for sure. I, I think it does help. <laughs> so, and jumping topics again, um, you're a business owner um, and you wrote a post in your blog about learnings from a year in your business. Now, quite a few folks in the community that I've spoken to um, don't necessarily want to switch to being in tech or start in tech because they want just a job at a big tech company or some tech company. They actually see it as an opportunity to create an opportunity for themselves. And in the community, I, the people that's in the community currently, um, tends to be from developing countries. So for them, especially, you know, getting a job is a little tricky because maybe there's not that much opportunity where they live and getting a job from a tech company in the US or Europe is not always possible because of, you know, laws and all these kind of tricky things. So for them, it's like, uh, I I want to do, but at the same time, they're so scared because it's, you know, I'm doing it myself and it's frightening most of the time. Um, so through your journey since February 2022, or 2020, sorry, um, what have you learned? What has been some of the tough things, mistakes you've made, things you've learned, anything like that that you'd like to share? Yeah, oh, well, we could be here all day, but... <laughs> I'll just boil it down to a couple things that that really stick out to me. Um, so one thing I I don't necess- I don't know that I um, feel confident enough to like recommend this to everyone, but I do. This is how it happened for me, and I do highly recommend putting yourself in this position, even though it's very scary. Um, so I quit my job. I had three months of savings that I would like three months of saved income. And so that was my deadline. And I honestly thought I was getting another, I thought I was going to get a new job. I didn't think I was going to start my own business when I quit. So um, basically what I, the first thing is like, there's kind of two methods. Like one is you can be working a full-time job and trying to start your own thing. And that way you have some of that safety net. And for me and my personality, I'm a very like all in person. Like I found it even, I was looking for a job for three months before I quit. And I, I just, it was so hard for me to be all in on that job and and also be trying to find a new one. So, um, as much as you're able, like I would say, give yourself three months of savings, like take away any other distraction and just like go for it <laughs> with that. Like, cause then Honestly, it has to work. Like it just has to. And you will do things and you will figure it out and you will force yourself to do things that you would never have done to get it to work if you had always had that buffer and that safety of like full-time work on the side. So um, it's scary. It is, it's even scary to feel like I'm recommending people do that because I didn't, it just sort of like happened that way for me. But, um, I, I think it's like one of the, I think it's like one of the core reasons that my business is where it is, is because I didn't have, I didn't have another option. Um, so that's one thing, setting yourself up with the right environment (laughs) and the right incentive (laughs) as in that draining bank account. Um, The uh, second thing that I did during that time that really made a huge impact was, and I, you probably heard this on Beginner Maps, um, I was gifted a book called Designing Your Life by some amazing mentors. And I just, <laughs> if you, now I've, a friend told me if you Google Designing Your Life, I, like my video is on their page. It's like so embarrassing, but I'm also like so proud of it because I'm like, I am their number one fan. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. Um, but it's it's honestly a phenomenal framework for how to think about your career and gives you some really practical um, like application and some really practical exercises to work through while also just dispelling some of the myths that we believe about our career journey. So that, that book gave me a fr- like the framework and the application and some of the language that I and belief that I needed. Um, and it's not a book that is like telling you to go start your own business, but that is what unfolded for me because of the book. Um, 
And the third and final thing that um, I, I haven't read the book in quite a, quite a while, so I don't know if I just like, I might be making this up, but I think that the book said something to the effect of if you have 100 coffees uh, with people, like you'll find your next dream job. That's what I internalized, at least. <laughs> and so, uh, but their point being like, um, you know, the vast majority of jobs are not even, are never even posted online. They're hired like through internal networks. So the only way that like the best possible thing that you can do is start talking to people. And so again, me thinking that I'm looking for a job, I started, um, asking people to coffee about 20 coffees in, I started to like, all of a sudden I had this like pitch deck about why your brand should become community led. And it was like the coffees actually with, with people actually like untangled for me what I actually was seeking. Cause I started very broad with like, I don't know. I'm just trying to understand like what I could do next. Will you talk with me for 30 minutes? And it turned into, um, Okay, so I'm starting a consulting company and this is my pitch and I'd love for you to listen to it. <laughs> and so I had 100 coffees in 90 days and that gave me enough business for my first uh, year and a half. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, I've heard about the power of coffee chats for sure. You're not the first person to mention this. So, yep, go out there and drink some coffee with people. It, it does make, it opens up doors. Yep. Go, go drink a lot of coffee. And if you don't know where to start, like <laughs> I, I started with a list of 40 people, you know, who I knew. And I said, at the end of every call, like after hearing me share, is there anyone who you think would be interesting for me to talk to? And, um, that was a really, um, helpful way for me to continue to grow the list to get to, a, if you honestly, yeah, if you are willing to have a hundred coffees, you will find your next step. Or if you're trying to launch something, it will happen within a hundred. It, it just does. There's something magical about it. So, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it com comes back to the community aspect and where we have this natural tendency. You know, I think just talking through something with somebody else often makes you – it's it's in programming, we have this thing called uh, rubber ducking. So it's this idea where um, you talk to somebody else about a problem. You're actually – the original plan was you were going to ask them – I'm stuck. What am I going to do here? And by talking through the problem with them, you find the answer yourself. So it's almost like you can put a rubber duck on your desk and just talk to the rubber duck and you'll figure it out. <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh. I need to, we were just talking about this yesterday because, so I also have a like camper van business here on the island and we, the renters like busted some stuff of course so we were like fixing it and my partner was like on top of the van and he's like i just need can you just come up here and like the second i get on top of the van he's like figured it out <laughs> like it's literally just the presence of another person will just like yeah. untangle all the threads for you <laughs> yeah for sure uh, i i'm a big believer in that um so we're in an interesting time at the moment and especially in the tech industry there's been an incredible amount of layoffs. Um, so I can just imagine that a lot of people, because there's quite a few of them in the community, in the Marseille Metro community, who have decided to switch careers. Um, and they've decided to get into the tech industry. And some of them quit their jobs to do this. And I'm sure a lot of them might feel like, uh-oh, I made a big mistake. Um, so... Doing that in a when the world is in a good place and there's not all these layoffs is scary enough, as we just talked about when you start your own business. Um, so for for those people who are unsure, not sure if they made the right decision, but they do feel that it is what they want to do. Like, do you have any advice for these folks on how to stay motivated and how to just generally deal with tough times? Yeah, and. You know, I can speak from my experience as a consultant. Um, part of why I'm a consultant is because of seasons like this in the like salaried work world. So I, the traditional um, belief is that there's more instability in consulting than there is in a full-time job. Um, but my perspective is as a consultant, I feel a lot of agency around if I don't have enough clients, 
I can go get on the phone and like find more clients. I can, there's, there's X number of different strategies that I can try and pivot and try again and fail and try again to find more clients. And eventually it does just work because it has to, um, versus a scenario where I'm working, I have all of my eggs in one basket with one company. And as a result, there might be something that is completely outside of my control that now my entire basket of eggs has been thrown out the window. So, which is what we're seeing right now with layoffs. So for me, I actually prefer, it's less about like, um, less or more instability. Cause I would say like anyone who's been laid off right now would say like, yeah, a full-time salaried role is not like as stable as I thought <laughs> I could actually be let go at any moment for reasons that I may or may not have control over. And so for me, it's more, i I focus more on like posturing myself in a way where I have like the most control over my environment and over like the outcomes. So for me that I feel that with consulting you might have a, a phenomenal salaried role and not feel that. Um, but I just, I prefer it on, on this side. So, you know, advice for people who are like in the hustle with me, I'm like, just keep going and find people who are wrestling with the same things. Like last year, um, I created a mastermind of, um, other community consultants. I think it's often like, um, who I would very easily be able to look at and say, that is my exact competition in this work. <laughs> like, it would be so easy to be like, wow, aren't you guys like competing with each other? And I chose those exact people to say like, actually, will you come and be my community? <laughs> will you come and be the ones who support me and I support you? Because really every, the people that we like community and competition are one degree removed. And it's really more about how you choose to see it rather than what actually is. So um, if you're struggling, like find other people who are in the exact same space as you, like look to your competition because they're probably like one of the first places you need to look and invite them into a deeper relationship together because that has been one of the biggest things that's like supported me on the low days when I'm like, I, I have my like crew now that I text and I'm like, oh, like this contract just fell through or like, ah, this person just like set, like judged this thing. And what do I do now? And they just like always bring me back down to earth. And what's incredible is that like the more you actually get to know each other, the more you realize like we are all niche in our own areas. And so if a client, you know, comes to me that isn't a perfect fit for what I do, I now have a network of people I can refer them to. So, um, that's my, that's my advice. Yeah, agree hundred percent. It's the whole scarcity mindset thing where people are too yeah. afraid to to speak to people that do what they do because they're scared of they're gonna take your piece of the pie and there's just not enough for everybody, which is untrue. We need to move out of that space. One hundred percent. It's easy to fall into at times like this. It's easy to think yeah. there's not enough yeah. work. And I just I have to believe every single day there is enough work for everyone. This is an abundant world and there is more than enough work to go around. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, thanks to the internet, we have the world as our, you know, potential clients and potential friends and partners and communities and everything. So, yeah. Well, this has been amazing. Um, it felt very natural, which is always great. It's always been an hour and I can't believe it. Um, so one last question. Um, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? I deliberately tried not to think about this too much because I wanted to, my gut to try to <laughs> lead on this. And the first thing that came to mind was just now was my friend, uh, Shikako, who's like a, she's like a spiritual guide here on the island. And she was, um, she told me, Brie, you need to say what you want first. And I was like, uh, Chicago. I'm like a, what they call a bigger personality. <laughs> so my job is actually to like, I need to be really careful with that because I could accidentally steamroll people. And my job is to really just work on controlling that and like making sure that other people have enough space. And she just like totally, it was the first time I'd ever been told that truly. And she was like, nope. She was like, you, your brain works in such a different way 
She's like, if you, you are always, if you let other people speak first, you're always going to modify and adjust what you're thinking and what you were going to say because you are, because you are adapting and adjusting for everyone else. And so she was like, your practice for this next year is to say what you want and to say it first. And I was like, that sounds like a lot. (laughs) That just sounds like a person who is a lot. Like I'm really scared of being perceived that way, especially as a woman. Like really, you're just talking about like the bitch in the room. Like really? (sighs) I was so nervous. Um, But I just trusted her and I was like, okay, I'm just gonna, Chicago told me I have to. Like it's not me, it's her. I'm just, if anything goes wrong, I'll just blame her. It's not actually me acting on my own volition. Um, But I started doing that. And you know, it was like quite, comical at first because you know in like a group call they'd be like does anyone have any thoughts and I would share and it's like my thoughts are just completely in left field compared to everyone else's (laughs) but like but in such a like in a way that actually did kind of open up the space for the people to share like a little bit more um, non-traditional things so I've been putting that into practice it was very liberating and very freeing to feel like I, as a big personality, had permission to speak first when I really conditioned myself to hold that back. And I I choose to believe that it gives, rather than taking up space that like, quote, belongs to other people, it actually creates more space for other people to also honestly share what, what they want and what they think. So that's what I choose to believe. That's lovely. Yeah, love that. I think... People shouldn't be afraid to speak because all our voices are valuable and should be heard. So I think that's a good place to start from. Yeah, I think that's good advice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, Brie, that's, this was really great, as I just said, but yeah, I had to reiterate. So thank you so much for joining. Um, all the best with, with your company and all the work you do. I'll definitely be following it. Mm-hmm. I'm subscribed to your podcast now and the YouTube channel. So <laughs> digging into all the things. I'm definitely going to, um, I, I wanted to watch one of those dissections yesterday, but I didn't get the time, but I'm going to do this weekend. I'm going to listen, going to listen to the Lego one. Uh, cause that one sounds really interesting. So thanks so much for joining and all of the very best. Awesome. Thank you, Skalk. Can't wait to stay in touch and uh, best of luck to everyone listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Mycenaean Network Podcast. If you're not already, please subscribe, store, and leave a review for us in your podcatcher of choice. This helps others find us and helps us make a better podcast for you, our listeners. You can also find and follow us on Twitter at Network Mycenaean and join the community on Discord. All the links are available in the show notes.